always feels like it's just starting to wind up and it then starts to wind down. Um, by always, I mean uh, this semester and last semester, I guess. Um, but it's a, it's great to see everyone again. It's great to keep going in Hilkel Shabbos. If everyone's willing to hear the regular announcement, you can decide if you'd like to put your video on or not. You can take your surroundings and your situation into consideration. If you're willing to and you're able to, your video on helps the, uh, the Magadish here, and your video on helps you, obviously, to uh, focus, but uh, no one should feel any pressure to. Uh, uh, welcome to Rabbi Leibowitz. At this point, I've said before that it gets boring to introduce Rabbi Leibowitz because I've done it a few times, and you know, as, as I said, for me, it gets more and more exciting. For everyone else, it probably gets more and more boring, but at this point, I don't think it's necessary even in terms of our group. This is uh, the fourth or fifth time already Rabbi Leibowitz has joined us. He's not really a, a guest speaker at this point. He's just part of the program. And uh, it's been like that since the beginning. That's the truth with his guidance, with his ETSA, um, and with his help. So uh, without further ado, Rabbi Leibowitz, and we'd like to thank our anonymous sponsors, of course, for sponsoring in honor of Rabbi Leibowitz, Rabbi Leibowitz's appearance. We thank them, and uh, we look forward to hearing wonderful Dibri Torah from Rabbi Leibowitz. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi Steinitz. It's always a uh, pleasure to join you and uh, this, uh, to join this wonderful program, this wonderful group of people. I uh, also want to thank my anonymous nieces for, uh, for sponsoring uh, tonight's, uh, tonight's shir. Um, they should have uh, great hatzlach in everything that they do. Uh, okay, so Rabbi Steinitz suggested that what we speak about this evening is uh, those uh, salt and pepper shakers that come with the grinders, uh, that you can grind the, uh, the pepper into your, into your soup. From a halachic perspective, can you use these things on Shabbos? Let's talk about the pepper shakers, and uh, most of what we say applies to salt, although it's a little bit different when it comes to salt, but we'll take one, one item at a time. So there are really four halachic issues that I can think of when it comes to those pepper shakers, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Should I post a picture of it? The uh, pepper shakers that come with the whole peppers in the thing, and you twist it, and it turns into, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, Rabbi Steinus will show you a picture otherwise. He sent me a picture, in case I didn't understand what he was talking about. Uh, so the... Um, there are four halachic issues that I am that I am aware of. One issue is the malacha of tochen, which I understand is on the uh, on 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 the the uh, curriculum for uh, for this week. Another uh, issue is the malacha of mirakid, which is a malacha that is not so widely studied, perhaps. A third potential issue is the malacha of bishul, as it may relate to putting things into uh, into putting something that's uncooked into a hot soup or something like that. And a fourth potential issue is not a Hilcha Shabbos issue at all, but as an issue that may be the primary issue when thinking about buying these items, and that is Tevilas Kalim, that uh, that the, uh, these these uh, shakers have, uh, the, that which grinds them is a metal blade, or at the very least, there's a pole in it that's made out of metal that, that makes the blades go, and even if the blades are plastic, there is a metal implement that, uh, that makes, makes the whole thing work, that makes the whole contraption work, and even if the rest of it is made of plastic, maybe that's a Tevilas Kalim issue that you can't use it unless you empty out all the peppers and then do a tevilas kalim and then put all the peppers back which uh, which would be an issue obviously even during the week as well but we're going to try to focus a little bit more on Hilcho Shabbos considering that this is a Hilcho Shabbos shear that uh, you all signed up for you didn't sign up for a tevilas kalim shear right now so uh, as far as tochen is concerned tochen was done in the Mishkan either when they produced uh, certain dyes which had to be ground up and mixed in water in order to be effective 
or in the grinding of the wheat that produced the lechem aponim. The Rambam in the Pirush HaMishnayis and Masech HaShabbos Tafayim Gimel defines tochen as breaking down a large item into a lot of tiny little particles. Question is exactly how small must it be chopped to constitute grinding as opposed to, let's say, cutting, right? If I take, uh, if I have vegetables on my plate and I cut them in order to eat them, that would not be tochen. So how small would it have to be in order to be uh, considered grinding as opposed to cutting? The majority of the Rishonim, Rashi, the Rabbi Hanalel and Shabbos Tafayin Dalid, and uh, Tosfos and Kufiyu Dalaram Beis say that it has to be cut into very tiny pieces in order for it to be called grinding, to the extent that, uh, that you wouldn't even use it the same way that you would have used it before. If you were to chop wood, let's say, into teeny tiny pieces, now you use it for landscaping. You no longer use it to make a chair or to make a uh, you know, to build something solid out of it. But when you cut vegetables for a salad, the same way you need a cucumber, you need a cucumber salad as, uh, as well. Uh, however, the smug and the smak assume that even if it's not so tiny, it could still violate the malacha of tochen, and the bir alacha recommends trying to be machmir for the sheet of the smag and the smak. Regardless of this machlokas, it is clear that grinding up peppers into tiny little uh, uh, um, flakes that go into your soup, that for sure is small enough to qualify for tochen. So it would seem that we have a real problem of tochen over here. So in order to figure out if we don't, if there's any way out of the problem of tochen, we need to look at what the exceptions are for the malacha of tochen. So first exception is, ain't tochen ella begidule karka. There's a machlokus rishonim regarding uh, the limitations on the yisra of, uh, of, of tochen. Shulchan Aruch paskins and simen shin chafal of siftes, like the chumas hadeshen, that it only applies to things that grow from the ground. And the Mishabur points out that even those who consider meat to be gidule karka, because after all, animals feed on uh, that which grows from the ground, would be mekel over here that, uh, that chopping meat would not be considered tochen. But nevertheless, peppers that are something that's uh, natural from the ground and therefore would seem to still be tochen. Exception number one does not does not help us. Second potential exception. Ein tochen achar tochen. Ramah writes that one is allowed to crush bread into small bread crumbs because ein tochen achar tochen. Further grinding something that was already ground up is not considered a significant act of grinding. So even though the Chayyadim seems to side with those we showed more machmir on that issue, the overwhelming majority of poskim are mekil and assume that there is no violation of tochen. So that if you were to take a cookie and grind it up, even though it was uh, you're crushing it up and the cookie is made of a lot of natural ingredients if you believe the packaging. So uh, nevertheless, it's still considered tochen because, it's not considered tochen because the flour was already ground once. Um, that's the, uh, so crushing a cookie or lumpy sugar or a medicine tablet or something like that, that's, uh, that, 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 that's, uh, that would not be a violation of tochen. That does not seem to help us either. Then there is a third exception to the Melach of Tochen, and that is the Ramah writes in Simashin Chaval of Sifir Beis in the name of Chuvasa Rashba that the entire Isra of Tochen is only an issue if it's not done for immediate use. But if you're doing it for immediate use, there's no problem whatsoever of Tochen. And the Mishaburu quotes the Rashba that the logic for this is that it's considered part of your eating process, which is certainly mutter, just like uh, chewing is mutter. It's not a violation of Tochen. So if it's for immediate use to eat it right 
away, that's considered to not be a violation of tochim. Ooh, this one might help us, because after all, you're putting spices in your soup to then immediately eat your soup. So the Mishabruah and Sifkat Memhei quotes a mug in Avram, who does not apply this exemption, because how can you permit all malachas that you happen to need immediately? How can that just get rid of the malacha? So because of that opinion that the Mishaburah quotes, the Mishaburah says in the name of the Beis Yosef that even when intending to use it immediately, you should try not to cut it into such tiny pieces. Furthermore, um, most of the posts can assume that if you're using something that's meant to grind, it's a grinding implement, the heter of miyad doesn't apply. Why would that be true? The whole heter of miyad that you're using it right away is that that's just how you eat. Once you're using a grinding implement, that's already a sophisticated process that you're putting the item through. I don't. I, I never really use those, uh, those those things that you have to grind up. I don't taste the difference in the pepper. If I have a already ground pepper and I put it in my soup, it tastes just the same to me. So if you're not, uh, you know, once you're getting involved in a very sophisticated process, it's hard to call that derech achila, that that's just the way that you would normally do it. Uh, so it seems that this heter, which is the most likely candidate, date to help us over here may not really help us as far as the malacha of tochen is concerned. The fourth hatter is that if you do it with a shinui, but shinui over here does not mean with your left hand. Shinui means that you grind it in a way that doesn't make it, that makes it difficult to grind. Like you use the handle of a knife to chop something up. This obviously makes it very easy to grind, whether you do it with your left hand or your right hand, and therefore would not be a hatter uh, that would apply over here. So as far as tochen is concerned, it seems we've already struck out. We already already have an issue as far as tochen is concerned, but it's not only one iser. There's a, an additional p- uh, potential concern of merakev. They used to sift in the mishkan, either when they ground up uh, the herbs, they had to first make it into a very fine uh, very fine powder before they made a nice thick paste out of it, or I mean, when they were making the dyes, or when they made the lechem apanim, where they actually uh, sifted the flour for the lechem apanim. So there are other malachos that also relate to separating out impurities, just like Merake does. There's, for example, Borer, there's Zora, but Merakid is unique in that it, it demands that you use a special sifting device. Only when you use a special sifting device is it a violation of Merakid. So there are some rules of Merakid. If, if you're just using the device to evenly spread it out, but it's not actually sifting anything out, like let's say a regular salt shaker or pepper shaker, why, why don't you uh, just uh, unscrew the top and pour the whole thing? Because then it will get all over, it will ruin the whole food. You're just using the salt shaker, the pepper shaker, to more even evenly spread it out in the soup, that is not a violation of merakid. The Yorach HaShulchan says that it's merakid regardless of whether you're sifting the impurities from the pure stuff or vice versa. That's a machlokas achronim. Not everybody agrees. But at the very least, at the very least, the Agletal holds that it's only merakid if you're picking out the good. So it would turn out, it doesn't matter whether you hold merakid goes both ways or only one way, because if it's not merakid, then it's borer. Meaning if you're sifting out one from the other, so it's either going to be Merakid or it's going to be Borer. You can have a problem one way or the other. And there is no heter of Miyad by Merakid. Why is there no heter of Miyad that you're using it right away? Same reason we said before. If it's going to be, the whole heter of Miyad is based on the principle of Derech Achila. Merakid requires that you use a special utensil, and that's a sophisticated process. Anything that involves a sophisticated process cannot be defined as 
part of the eating process. So if you have a salt shaker that has little pieces of rice inside of it to absorb the moisture, that is a serious shaila of mirakate because you're keeping the, the rice behind. You don't want the rice to land in your soup. You only want the salt to come through. If you strain noodles with a colander, that is a serious problem of mirakate. If you have uh, young children or, or uh, older children who act young that only want the uh, clear broth of the soup and they don't want the vegetables in the soup and you're going to sift it through a strainer in order to give them the clearest uh, soup, that is a problem of merakeid and chinuch habanim. There is a third issue of bishel, which we're not going to get into too much detail about. Generally speaking, klisheni, when when a hot food is in a klisheni, it doesn't have the capacity to be mevashel, but there is such a concept called things that are very easily cooked and can even become cooked in a klisheni. And some poskim, many poskim suggest that if we don't know that a food is not kalehabishal, we have to assume it is kalehabishal. That the default position is that all foods that we don't know otherwise, the Mishnah Brewer writes this, we have to assume is kalehabishal. The only thing is the Gemara is pretty explicit that spices, tavlin, are not kalea bishel. So to put spices in a klisheni would not violate bishel. However, Rav Shalom Zalman Arbach points out that that's talking about if you were to actually take that utensil that we're talking about, unscrew it and just pour those big chunks of pepper in, that would not be kalea bishel. That would be permissible from a bishel perspective. But says Rav Shalom Zalman Arbach, once you grind it so finely and you make the spices into these very finely ground uh, pieces, that becomes kaleabishal even though it's tavlin, even though it's spices. So you do have a shaila of kaleabishal over here. Now, thankfully, there is what to be makel with when you're putting spices in soup because certainly salt, salt is often pre-cooked, but even spices in, in soup because most often uh, soup is, at least the machlok zaposkim, might be considered to be in a klishlishi by the time it's in your bowl. So there's a little more to be somich on lakula. By the way, this is why some poskim, many poskim, I would say most poskim, are machmir not to make tea in a klisheni. Tea seems to be a classic example of a tavlin. It just gives some flavor. You don't eat the tea, it just gives some flavor to the water. It should not be kaleabishal. Oh, but the tea bags have such finely ground up tea leaves that maybe that makes it kaleabishal. Moreno Agon of Shechter Shlita uh, believes that tea is not kaleabishal, that it's a tavlin, and therefore it's not kaleabishal. And uh, he said that he heard from Rav Salvechik, that Rav Salvechik's grandfather uh, made tea in a klisheni. Rav Salvechik's grandfather was a very very big Tamil Chacham. And uh, I, I, I think I once asked Rav Shechter which grandfather, and he said, was it uh, Ravelia Prajna or was it Rav Salvechik? They were both big Tamil Chacham, one more famous than the other. And I think he said that they both did. So I asked Rav Shechter, do you make tea in a klisheni uh, without using klishlishi? He said, only when I'm thirsty for tea. So uh, so he does uh, occasionally make tea in a klisheni. That's not the uh, the majority opinion of poskim, but it is a uh, an, an opinion of poskim. Kale abishal means that which is very easily cooked and will even be cooked by something that is not such a high level of intensity of heat. Like a klisheni, normally the heat is not so intensely hot and is not enough to cook. But kale abishal means something so easily cooked that it will even be cooked in such a thing. I'm way over my time just to quickly 
quickly mention that Tvilas Kelim issue is a real issue. Uh, in in the, back in the year Tavshin Samach Vav, there was a whole back and forth in the OU office between Rav Belsky and Rav Shechter, where they wrote uh, four or five tshuvas back and forth to each other about whether the OU can give Ashkacha on these apparatuses because uh, they're concerned that people are going to buy them and not even think of the Tevilas Kalim issue. And in the end of the day, uh, they were both machmir, that uh, if there's that metal rod in the middle that allows the whole cleat to work, based on the Ramah, they were both machmir. In the last tshuva that Rav Belsky wrote on the topic, he thought he had a couple of potential rayas from Mishnayis and Meseches Kalim that maybe would suggest a leniency about it. And Rav Shechter's final word was, Mechoser Yediasi because I don't really understand Kalim as well as Rabbi Belsky, I reject both of his chidushim. And he says, I think, according to what it says in Shulchan Aruch, you need to do tevila on these Kalim, and therefore uh, he did not believe that the OU should give Ashkach. I don't know what the current OU position is, but that was the tshuva written back in, uh, in, in Tavshin Samachvav. Again, I thank you so much for uh, inviting me to, uh, to share some Divrei Torah. I apologize if I moved a little bit uh, quickly, and I look forward to the opportunity to learn with, uh, with you again in the future, Be'ezras Hashem. Amen. We look forward as well. Thank you so much. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.